0: You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, the title of my sermon tonight is The Priority of Being Present. The Priority of Being Present. So, what does it mean to be present? Present to God, present to others. That's what I want us to think about, being present. Um, and before we look at our passages, I want to uh, just set the table. So it's been almost exactly a year since many of us were in Israel. And ever since we've gotten back from Israel, I've been immersed in the Gospels. And not just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but like the Gospel story. And, I, and I've really tried to live into it, to encounter it, to ask myself, what, 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 what would it have been like to have encountered Jesus personally? If we were in that first century, what would it have been like to, to see him from afar? What would I have thought as a first century person? What would I have thought of Jesus? Would I have followed him? And if, and if I did, how far would I have followed him? Would I have, would I have left my hometown? Would I have left my job? Would I have dropped my nets, so to speak, and follow him? What about when it started to get tough and the opposition started to up, rise up? Would I have followed him all the way to the cross? As I'm thinking through these questions, sometimes I'm one of the outside people. I'm looking in at Jesus. And other times I imagine what would it have been like to have been one of his close followers, maybe even one of his disciples, to hear Jesus explain the kingdom of God, for him to unpack parables. Other times I'm the person that Jesus is talking to directly. I'm having a personal encounter with Jesus. What would that have been like? And I'm imagining how he would have navigated that conversation. Have you ever thought of that? If you were encounter Jesus, how would that conversation go? How would he navigate it to the issues that were in your heart? To bring that to the surface. <clears throat> you know, one thing that has stood out to me in this Immersion in the gospel story was just how present Jesus was. He was present to every single person he met, every single one. It didn't matter if they were coming to him with a a need or another concern, or they were asking him a question, or even if they were there to oppose him and try to trick him. He was always present. I mean, I mean, completely present to them, as if they were the only person that existed in the world at that time, in that moment. <clears throat> Jesus saw people. I'm gonna, sorry, I'm going to be drinking tea a little bit to soothe my throat, but, you know, Jesus saw people. He didn't, just, he didn't just see people. He saw people's heart. He saw inside their heart. He saw the layers of their heart. He knew exactly where every single person was tied up and bound and blinded that that some idea has held on to them to, to make them blind to see who he was and that's where he wanted to encounter people in the issue of his of their heart so that he could set them free Have you ever thought of how many times Jesus heals the blind in the Gospels. You know, that that is just an outward symbol of what's really going on in the hearts of people who Jesus is encountering. He wants them to be able to be freed in their hearts so they can see him, so that they can follow him. And so, I want us to to survey. We're gonna survey three and a half stories tonight. We're not gonna do a deep dive in them, but we're gonna just look at how Jesus lived. And I just want to think with you about that, how he lived, how he saw people, how he engaged people, how he led every conversation to the heart of the matter. He, he saw what was going on in your heart and he masterfully makes that the conversation. Does that make sense? So let's look at this. The first story is in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. Now this is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's just begun calling his disciples he's called four of them or, or five of them at this point two sets of brothers he's called Andrew and his brother Simon who will become Peter and then he's called James and John the son of Zebedee and then he has just called Philip and I love Philip because the first thing that Philip wants to do when he meets Jesus he wants to tell his buddy he runs off and he tells Nathaniel. Nathaniel, you'll never believe this. I saw him, the Messiah. He's so excited. And here's here's where our passage, our first passage picks up. It says in verse 45 of chapter 1, Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, "We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth." Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, "Can anything good come from Nazareth?" Come on, see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Wow. What a strange and fascinating story that is, isn't it? I mean, this guy Nathaniel, he has two completely different responses to Jesus. His first one is Nazareth, Philip, really? Like, the Messiah is not going to come from a dumpy little town like Nazareth? And then Jesus just says this He says, I saw you. I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree. And then Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. I mean, talk about a conversion, right? That's pretty effective, wouldn't you say? <clears throat> and our questions are always, what did, what did Jesus see Nathanael doing? What was Nathanael doing under the fig tree? And the truth of the matter is we have no idea. Lots of scholars have guessed uh, But none of their answers are very good. Some say he was reading the Torah, or he was meditating, or he was praying. But we don't have any idea what he was doing. There's only two people that know what Nathaniel was doing, Jesus and Nathaniel. And so here's the point. Whatever it was that Nathaniel was doing under the fig tree is exactly where he needed an encounter with Jesus. This is exactly where Nathanael needed to be met. Jesus unlocked something in Nathanael's heart when he saw him. He saw saw where he was, and he was able to meet him there, and now Nathanael had vision. He could see who Jesus was. One comment... Nothing good can come from Nazareth, but whatever this was, that was the moment that unlocked his ability to see Jesus and get spiritual sight. And we see this all over the gospel. No matter what question or issue or need someone brought to Jesus, Jesus just masterfully navigates the the conversation to the heart of the matter. He brings those issues of the heart to the surface and he makes that the conversation. Let's look at our next story. So this one's in Mark chapter 10. So in Mark chapter 10, this is at the the very end of Jesus's ministry. So we go from the beginning all the way to the end. And uh, let me set up the context here. So Jesus and three of his closest disciples have just come down the mountain of transfiguration. And as they're coming down, uh, Luke, the way Luke records this it's very haunting he says that that Jesus resolutely set his eyes on Jerusalem he was he was determined to go to the cross he was resolved that he was steadfastly going to the cross and as he's coming down this mountain he begins to when he gets down he begins to take his disciples and he begins to take them away from the crowds and he wants to talk with them separately to prepare them for his departure and so he says that the son of man will be betrayed by human hands and he will be put to death. But on the third day, he will raise again. And his disciples have no idea what he's talking about. They're clueless. In fact, some of his apostles at this very time are talking with themselves and they're, they're talking, uh, arguing, debating who will be the greatest when Jesus comes into his kingdom. So imagine what Jesus is going through right now. On the one side, he's preparing for the cross. On the other side, he's got days, perhaps weeks, to prepare his disciples. That's the context. Now let's look at our passage in in, uh, Mark chapter 10. This is the parable, this is the story of the rich young ruler. Familiar story probably to most of us. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must i do to inherit eternal life remember that question why do you call me good jesus asked only god is truly good but to answer your question you know the commandments you must not murder you must not commit adultery you must not steal you must not testify falsely you must not cheat anyone honor your father and mother teacher the man replied i've obeyed all these commandments since i was young looking at the man Jesus felt genuine love for him there is still one thing you haven't done go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me I want us to uh, to look at two things in this in this story first let's talk about this rich young ruler what do we know about him well he's rich He's young, and he's in charge, right? This guy must have been a very disciplined person, a very devout Jew, right? He kept all the commandments since his youth. Very committed. This kind of sounds like the the, the person we would want to put in leadership, right, Dave Delgado? This is a sharp guy. He seems to be winning in life. He seems to be successful at what he's doing. He is very eager to meet Jesus, too. It says here, that he came running up and then he knelt down in reverence and he calls him good teacher. It's as if he's, he's, he's looking for some kind of validation. Hey, Jesus, I've heard about you. I know no one teaches like you. I'm good too. Have you noticed? I've kept the commandment since I was young. I've been very diligent in life. I've been very disciplined. I've done all the right things. As if he's looking for Jesus' approval grade my paper give me check my boxes and then this is the verse this is what I really want us to see in this passage looking at the man verse 21 looking at the man Jesus felt genuine love for him now this really really speaks to me because think about all the things that Jesus is doing right now think about everything that's going on in his life I mean he's literally carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders He's on his way to lay his life down on the cross. And his disciples still need much more preparation. You could say his plate's pretty full, right? And and here's what I want to think with you about. I don't know about you, but when my plate is full, I'm not the most pleasant person to be around. (laughs) I generally don't take interruptions well. I get short with people. Don't bother me right now. I'm busy. I've got important things to do. And let me just say to my family and my close friends, this is not where I'm looking for an amen. (laughs) But notice that that's not Jesus' response at all. Jesus wasn't too busy or distracted. He wasn't preoccupied. He wasn't dismissive of this rich young ruler. Jesus wasn't thinking about himself. His agenda, his to-do list. Jesus was fully present to this guy. He didn't allow the inevitability of going to the cross to excuse him from being present in the moment. He was fully, fully attentive to this guy. Looking at this man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And then he says there's still one thing. As he he looks into his heart, as as he looks at the complex, wonderfully unique layers of this man's heart, he says, Son, this is where you're tied up. go sell your stuff and give the money to the poor and then come follow me. Some of us are glad that that's not the way Jesus talks to us, right? Sell your stuff, give it to the poor and then come follow me. It's as if Jesus is saying all of your life You've worked so hard. All of your life, you've done the right things. All of your life, you've obeyed the rules. You've checked off all the boxes. You've been diligent. But, son, that's never going to get you there. That work in the end will betray you. Don't put your confidence in what you can do or your goodness or your righteousness, it will fall short. It will never satisfy you. Drop your nets, so to speak, and follow me. That's his invitation. I want to show you a whole new way of being. I love the way Pastor Ryan has been leading us through the Beatitudes and the the kingdom of God because Jesus wants to show us a whole new way of being, not just doing, of living, of existing, of, of, of loving God and loving others well. Now, I need to make one more comment on this passage because, unfortunately, this is typically where we take our, our, our takeaway from. It's verse twenty two and it says, After Jesus said, Go sell your stuff and give it to the poor, it says this, and the man's face fell, and he went away sad for he had many possessions. And we usually conclude that it was just the cost was too great for this guy. But I just want to pause and think with you about that, because this is this is often the issue with us. Each and every one of us have something in our heart that our heart does not want to let go of. It clings to our heart. It holds on to us, and it keeps us blind to who Jesus is. It keeps us bound from following him, and it's not just one thing. It's many, many things that have just built up over time. Sometimes it's just what life gives to us. And these layers, they just stack up and they stack up and they stack up and then we just put junk on top of it to anesthetize ourselves. And Jesus, when he comes and when he encounters you, those are the issues that he wants to deal with because those are the things that'll set you free. Not trying harder, not checking off more boxes, not being right. He wants to set the captives free. And this is the kingdom of God's story. Amen? Can we look at one more passage? this one is in Luke uh, Luke chapter 10 now this is also at the end of Jesus's ministry this is also going to be a familiar passage to you this is the passage that we know of as the Good Samaritan this story happens just before the rich young ruler story and it says here in verse 25 one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question teacher what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus says, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? First thing I want to notice, did you recognize the question? This this expert in the religious law asked Jesus the exact same question the rich rich young ruler asked. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? But notice Jesus doesn't give him the same answer, does he? He doesn't just give him a pad stock answer. He doesn't tell this guy, hey, go read Mark chapter 10. Or hey, you know, in in about a week, or so, there's going to be somebody else interested in this, this question as well. Go get all your friends, and we'll have a convention around the issue of what do we have to do to inherit eternal life? And that way, I can give everybody the right answer all at once. He doesn't do that. Why? Well, the answer is simple, because this religious lawyer, this expert in religious law, is a fearfully made wonderfully intricate completely unique nobody like him in the world individual and jesus wants to meet him there and as he looks and he and he does what only jesus can do man looks at outward appearance jesus looks at the heart he looks at this guy's heart and he sees all the layers of his heart and he sees right where his heart is just tangled up it's just bound it's gotten him bound and he wants to meet him there so let's see how he does that. Let's see how he navigates with this guy. So what do we know about him? We, we know he's an expert in the religious law. That's about all we know. Uh, let's call him a lawyer. How do lawyers like to a- uh, answer questions? With questions, right? You've all been around lawyers. They're, they're no different now than they were 2,000 years ago. Yeah, they answer questions with questions. Jesus knows this. He knows this guy's game. He knows where he's going. He knows what he wants to do. And so what does Jesus do? He goes, I'm going to get ahead of you. (laughs) See, lawyers like to answer questions with questions because they want to control the conversation. Just don't ever try to outwit Jesus. It just doesn't end well. So Jesus seizes hold of the conversation, and this guy says, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What a great answer. I mean, A plus. This is is the answer Jesus gave. Right? When, When asked what's the greatest commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind and your heart and your strength and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus responds to him, right, Jesus told him do this and you will live story over right answer solved I gave him the right answer this guy knew the right answer why doesn't Jesus just let him go Well, if we look at the next verse we see that John gives us a clue and we get a little glimpse into this guy's heart it says the man wanted to justify his actions so he asked Jesus who is my who is my neighbor So this guy still wants to play the Bible Answer Man game. He wants to keep it all outside. He wants to keep it all objective where it's nice and safe. He wants to give him the answer. I imagine that this expert in religious law probably could have rattled off just about any question about the Old Testament you threw at him. He probably had a good deal of it memorized. But Jesus is not impressed with that. Jesus is not impressed with how many Bible verses we have memorized. He's not impressed with how much we know about God. Jesus does not want this man to just know the truth. He wants to show him how to live into the truth. And this is such a big difference, right? We talk about the difference between our head and our hearts. Jesus doesn't want us to just know the truth, He's inviting us by watching him and looking at him and encountering him and and praying and being around believers to look and see what it looks like to live into the truth. So, Jesus gives him a story, he gives him a parable. And I love what Pastor Ryan said about parables. Parables are these little stories that you can take with you that continue to work on your heart. You, you hear a story and then you think about the story and as you're mulling over the as you're meditating on this it just keeps working and keeps working see Jesus doesn't want to spite this guy Jesus didn't come to give him answers Jesus came to set him free and so he gives him this story and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna paraphrase this story we know it so there's a road there's a there's a dangerous treacherous road that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho a well-known a well-traveled road and one day there's this there's a guy and he's walking on this road and he gets mugged and beaten and robbed left on the road for dead and then three people encounter this guy and the first guy is a priest as the priest sees him he just walks right on by and we may want to just assume that perhaps he's ignoring this guy because you know he's got important work to do for God I mean, he's a priest. He could be going to the temple to uh, offer the the ceremonies, to go through the rituals, the the liturgy. He's got important work to do. God will understand. Somebody else will come. Except the text betrays this priest because it says that he was going down the road and any first century Jew would know that you don't ever go down any road to get to Jerusalem. You only go up. (coughs) So, oops. Oops. Second guy is a a Levite. Now, Levites were kind of like worship leaders. They assisted the priests. And as he comes up to this guy, he not only, like, ignores him, he sees him down here, and then he goes on the other side of the street. He crosses the street and walks right by him. And the same thing. You could think, well, this guy's got important work to do for God. God will surely understand. So he walks by. Third guy. All we know about him is he's a despised Samaritan. He is the most hated person, the Samaritans, the most hated people to the Jews on earth. We don't know anything about what he was doing, where he was going, why he was on the road in the first place, but all we know is that wherever he was going was completely interrupted because he saw this guy, he stopped what he was doing, he bound up his wounds, he put him on his donkey, he took him to the closest inn, gave the innkeeper a bunch of money, and he says, take care of this man and if you need anything else, Put it on my tab, and when I come back through the next time, I will pay you back. So Jesus, being the good lawyer, being the better lawyer, when when a lawyer makes his case, they often like to ask a rhetorical question, right? If they've done their work right, the answer is gonna be so obvious that any jury would agree with me. And this is what Jesus has done. So he says this at the end of this story. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked to him. Remember, the question is, who's my neighbor? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go do the same. And that's how the story ends. This lawyer doesn't push back. This lawyer doesn't engage him in more questions. You, you could conclude that just like the rich young ruler, Jesus had given him a lot to think about and he went away and that's how the story ends. We're almost done. Stay with me. So our characters, our rich young ruler, our our lawyer, our priest, and our Levite, what what do they all have in common? Each one of these guys, they're all all box checkers. They're all legalists. They're all... They're preoccupied with doing work for God, being right. But Jesus doesn't give any one of them a rule to follow or a box to check. But what he does do, he exposes their heart. And he wants them to see where their heart is bound up and tangled and blind. And he wants to set them free and give them sight. He wants to let them know what it looks like to live a life that loves God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor with yourself, not just know that that's the right answer. He wants to invite him to live into that reality because that's the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. We've been learning about this. This is what it looks like. The kingdom of God looks like the despised Samaritan. and whatever else the Samaritan had going on, he didn't use it to excuse himself to being present in the moment to someone who needed him. The agenda in his calendar got interrupted because to live into the kingdom requires this just trumps my schedule. This becomes the most important moment in my life right now. This is where God wants me. And the Samaritan shows us, he shows us what loving God with all your heart mind and strength and loving your neighbor like yourself looks like it looks like someone who's fully present in the moment <clears throat> so Luke ends chapter 10 with a story familiar story of Mar- Mary and Martha and I'm just gonna make a comment about that and we're gonna we're gonna, we're gonna land the plane so <clears throat> Jesus never had a house so anyway anytime jesus went in there either slept outside or he stayed at a friend's house or he stayed with someone else he didn't have his own house so when he was in jerusalem he stayed with his good friends mary martha and their brother lazarus they lived in this little town called bethany it was just outside of jerusalem and so jesus appears to mary and martha's house when he gets there martha is preparing this big lavish dinner she's probably throwing a big dinner party jesus gets there she's busy in the kitchen cooking and getting ready preparing the meal she's working very diligently and mary on the other hand she's sitting at jesus's feet she's not doing anything she's not preparing for the guests she's not helping her sister martha she's not doing anything and martha gets pretty upset about this and so she complains to jesus and she says jesus Tell Martha, come up and help me. She's just sitting here. And I want us to see Jesus' response. Um, Do we have this? This is, yeah. Look at, at, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. The one thing. The Bible doesn't tell us what Mary and Jesus were talking about. just like it doesn't tell us what Jesus and Nathaniel were talking about. And I'm so glad it doesn't. you know why? Because if it did, we'd, we'd wrap it up in a box, we would make it a rule it would be a method and we put it in a box and give it a box to check we say this is how you encounter Jesus this is how you hear from him this is how he unlocks your cart. this is how he wants to encounter us no it isn't he wants to encounter every single one of us because you are all fearfully and wonderfully made you are completely different than anybody else who's ever lived and there's only one person who knows your heart he knows you better than you know yourself and he wants to encounter each one of us in that issue of our heart just masterfully navigating to that thing that's buried under all the busyness and all the things that we do so that we suppress because we don't want to deal with this and he deals with it out of love and he makes that the conversation and he gives it to us so I want to just close with a couple of thoughts and the first one is a question, have, have, we, have we gotten our priorities upside down? Maybe we've over-prioritized the work that we do for God and we've under-prioritized simply being present with God. You know, a few months ago, um, on one of our Monday morning meetings, Pastor Wade asked a really pregnant question. He said, Have we spent too much time focusing on ideas about God and not enough time experiencing God? That question has just stayed with me. The invitation is to experience God. What Pastor Ryan has been teaching us in prayer school, that five minutes of silent prayer, if you can just do it, I've practiced it. First of all, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to quiet your mind. It's hard to get somewhere and just sit and listen takes me about 20 minutes of somebody else's prayers and reading these prayers just to get into the space to do that and then I want to move on with my day but I haven't prayed yet I haven't heard anything yet I've just said stuff but uh, what I've learned when I do engage in this that God can leverage those five minutes into 24 hours and I am much more attentive in those 24 hours because of that five minutes five minutes that I've spent just listening to Jesus and there's a sad irony in life, and that is that the, the life that many people set out to live is not the life often that they wished they would have lived. And the best example of this can be found if you encounter somebody who no longer has very, moments, very many moments left, and then you just listen to their story. You just listen. They begin to tell you what really matters and a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't matter. Or you could Google it. I dare you to Google deathbed regrets, of the rich and famous, and you're gonna get the same answer, and you know the answer. Nobody has ever, ever said, I wish I would've just made one more million dollars. I wish I would've just spent one more day at work. They don't say that. What do they say? They say, I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have been more attentive to my spouse. I wish I would have been more present to the people in my life. Sorry. I had a conversation with a dear friend of mine around this question. And I learned more from him than I could ever learn from anybody else, because he was in hospice. And we talked about how much, John, how much of do we allow work that we do to be paid for? Come on, get it together. by the moments in our life. <clears throat> There's only one moment where we can be present. And it's this one I can't be present to yesterday I can look in the rearview mirror I can I can look in the past I can have regrets in the past I can be nostalgic about the past but I can't be present to the past we can't be present to the moment through the future we can be hopeful to the future we can worry about the future but we can't be present to the future All we can do is be present now in the moment. This is the most important moment of your life. Did you know that? This is the only moment you can exercise faith. This is the only moment you can choose to to have an encounter with Jesus. This is the only moment you can say, Lord, I want to welcome you into my life. I want to give you access to that place in my heart that I've guarded. The only time we can do that is now, is in the moment. Jesus says there's only one thing you need to be concerned about, and that's, be found in his presence, and I'm gonna just transition since I don't have a piano player to call upon <laughs> I'm gonna sit down here and and here's what I want us to do here's what I would like to to finish <clears throat> um, church we need to encounter Jesus we need to <clears throat> learn how to sit at his feet Every single one of us need an encounter under the fig tree. And so that's what I want to invite us to do. As we close the service, I want to invite us all to a time of just sitting at Jesus' feet. A time of sitting under the fig tree. and Just encounter Jesus personally. So, it's going to take about 3 to 5 minutes. I want us to close your eyes. Everybody just bow your head, get in a comfortable. I want you all to just breathe. Take a deep breath. And just relax and i want you to imagine that you're just sitting under the fig tree imagine that you've what it must have been like to live in the days of jesus what would it have been like to see him now i want you to imagine that your fig tree is right beside a dusty road beside a small village by maybe by the sea of galilee and as you look down that road in the distance, you see a large group of people coming and you're wondering to yourself, could this be him? You've heard stories about this strange prophet, this Jesus from Nazareth. Some people from your synagogue say that he's a, they're skeptical and they, they warn you to keep your distance. He's a heretic, he's a blasphemer. Other people say that he's trying to raise up some sort of military Group to overthrow Rome. But you've heard other stories about him, well, fantastic stories. And your heart begins to race as you see this crowd coming closer and closer and closer. Could this be him? And as they approach, you begin to see a man in front, and you think to yourself, this must be Jesus. And as you begin to make out your face, you think, this guy doesn't look like a dangerous heretic. He doesn't look like a military revolutionary either. He has a kind face, a a warm face, a welcoming face. In fact, he even looks familiar, and you're not sure why. (laughs) It's like you've known this man before, seen him before, met him. He has a gentle, peaceful, confident way about him. And he doesn't seem to be in a hurry either. And at this point, your curiosity is just heightened you can't take your eyes off him and you're completely fixed on Jesus. And then it happens. Then he looks up you and his eyes meet you. And you've never felt more seen. You've never felt more known or accepted or loved. There's nothing judgmental about this person at all. He's, he's welcoming, engaging, and kind. You feel like you've known him your whole life. In a minute, Pastor Ryan is going to come up and he's going to serve us communion. But I just want to give us a minute to just contend. Just listen to him. The boldest thing you can do right now is just to allow him to work through your heart and bring up that issue that is in your heart that maybe it's have more control over you than you have over it, but just give it to him. Let him have that conversation with you. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.